This morning's reading is taken from James 5, verses 13 to 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord. So tomorrow morning, most people in our city are going to wake up, and the first thing when they get out of bed, the first thing that actually most of us are, are going to do also is, uh, is what? Is look at the phone. Yeah, 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 that, that's right, of course. We check our phones more than 100 times a day, according to stats. I, I was actually, I found that a bit low when I heard that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and it starts first thing in the morning. It does. Yes, it does. And right away, you're into it. Whatever it is, in, y- in your case. It's, it's the, what is it? It's the images of other people living their best life, right? Um, people that you know and, and, and people that you don't know as well. People who are wealthy and, and they like work out for a living. Um, or you're into the work emails, right? The unread emails. Uh, You're into your productivity list and whatever app that you have for that. These are all the things that you haven't done yet. What are you doing with yourself? What have you been doing? Or you're into the news, right? Stories of um, daily tragedy and um, violence in public places. You're into American politics and those stories. Um, the stories about forest fires and environmental degradation. And right away, at the start of your day, you haven't even left the bedroom, and all of this just fills your screen. If you're like pe- most people, you, you start your day like that. Um, and, and actually, you kind of spend a lot of the day like that. Um, going about the day surrounded by images and and stories and narratives, kind of like swirling around you, blowing you back and forth with your emotions up and down with the things that you see. Stories of other people and their fulfillment, like in the photos. Um, Stories of your achievement or your, your own lack of achievement, your productivity. Stories of the world falling apart in the the global news that we read. And the truth is that you don't need to keep on living that way, blown around by the stories. We We don't need that. The Lord has better for you than that, and for me, for all of us. He's inviting us into something better. I want you to imagine with me a different way of life, Imagine 
a way of life where you're, you're still surrounded by stories, of course, all different kinds of stories, but, but you have a peace in your life because you've laid hold of one master story. And it's the story where your creator has become your father. He washed you in baptism. He called you into his people, into the fellowship. You belong to the family of God. And together with your brothers, with your sisters, you are looking ahead to the day that he makes all things new in the new heavens and the new earth. You're part of a great story. Beginning in, in the ancient time to the present day and reaching into a glorious future. A great story. And now, practically speaking, how do you lay hold of the story? Practically speaking, what's like the, what's the handle that you grab hold of? What does that look like? What is the, the, the habit in day-to-day -day life? And the answer to those questions is prayer, in fact, as we'll see. What's at stake in prayer is whether we, practically speaking, whether we believe the gospel story and live inside it. That's what's at stake when we, when we think about this topic. So, we need help. We do. And we're going to listen to James this morning um, speak to us on this topic. He's going to help us see two things. The first is how to pray, uh, and the second, why. Those two things, how and why. So, first, how to pray. Listen to this, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And now that, that phrase, songs of praise, Three words in English. There's one word um, behind that in Greek language. It's the word psalo. And it literally means to like strike the, the chords of a musical instrument. Psalo. Um, but can you hear psalms? As in the book of psalms. Because it has the same root word. To sing songs of praise, psalo and Psalms, the book of the Bible. And if, if, if I was writing this, it might say, is anyone happy? Raise a glass. But James says, sing a psalm. <laughs> sing a psalm. He's inviting you to sing the songs of the, of, of the word of God. And the reason is, I think, the reason is that happiness, good times, a light heart, it's a gift. It's a wonderful gift. But in that state, the person who is enjoying good things of life with a light heart is, is also um, at risk. The risk is to lose hold of the story, the master story. The risk is to enjoy these good things, the good thing that is so good and is so great that the human heart forgets the giver, forgets the one who gave it, and the story of life becomes something like, I want more of that, and more, and more, 
in a kind of pursuit of that thing, losing the plot, losing the master story that God has put us in. Because what you find in the Psalms is they don't do that. All the Psalms of praise, every one of them, is leading you to see that all the goodness of life that you may enjoy, every good thing, it's all a gift that is pointing you to the goodness of the giver and to the goodness of his kingdom and the beauty of life in his kingdom. When times are good, how do you hold on to the story, practically speaking? You pray. You pray the kind of, the kind of prayer that we hear in the Psalms. This is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We don't know the psalmist's life circumstances. But this psalm writer is singing a song of God's goodness in the midst of good times, whatever blessings those might be. Songs of praise. It's the same thing, actually, in in times of trouble as well. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Because, again, it's the same thing. The person in trouble runs the risk of losing the story. You might think that you, you know the, the purpose of your life and you're going in that direction and then trouble comes and it like blindsides you. Suddenly, in times of trouble, how do you hold on to the story? The, the story where God is good, God has not abandoned you, God's plans have not failed. How do you hold on to that story? And James says, you pray. You pray in the kind of, the kind of language, again, that we find in the Psalms. This is actually a majority of the Psalms, Psalms of lament, Psalms that are, are, are crying out to God in difficult times, Psalms like Psalm 13. Listen, listen to the, the prayer of one in a time of trouble. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and have sorrow in my heart? And it goes on like that for a number of verses. Listen to how it ends. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. What you find in the Psalms is that in in every kind of circumstance you might face, from every emotion, the Lord is calling you to, to hold on to the story. Don't let yourself be blown around and tossed back and forth on the waves and the wind of circumstances. Hold on to the good story and don't you let go in good times or in bad times. You pray. You pray the Psalms. Every day, every day, you need this. I, I need, we, we all, we all need to be immersed in these voices that will help us and lead us by the hand 
to the master's story and to not forget it. Now, there's a lot more to be said practically on this topic, like how do you read a psalm? And how do you, how do you take the psalm prayer and like turn it into your prayer? How do you, how do you adapt the language? And, and how much time do you spend on this? How do you, um, do you write notes? I don't know, all these kind of practical. There's a lot of practical things that could be said on this topic. Um, but I don't want to dwell on this too long because James doesn't, actually. You notice that? The only verse about you praying is verse 13, actually. Then verse 14, 15, 16, they're all about not you praying, but other people praying. In the word count, I did a word count, okay? Um, I spend time preparing these things. Uh, at the word count, about 20% of the of the words that are instructions for prayer, 20% is instructions for prayer on your own. 80% is about prayer with others and other people praying for you. So let's look at that next. Because it, it seems that in this topic of prayer, James is especially concerned that you have other people who pray for you and with you. That's not the first thought on my mind when we come to the topic of prayer, but I've, I've been struck by this this week. This is a big deal when we think about prayer, is the, not, not your exertion, but others around you and their prayers. Verse 14, look with me there. Is anyone sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. There is something about being sick. I mean, life is hard enough as it is. Uh, you have enough burdens and problems, I, I would imagine, in your life. And then you get sick. And then you get sick. And you have now constant pain. And you're cold. And you're too hot. And you're hungry. You have no appetite. You can't eat. And it's all too much. James knows that. James knows that you need help at that kind of time. You need ibuprofen, but you need much more than that. You need to remain in the gospel story. You need to hold on to the gospel story. But the problem is that what, you, what sickness does, it drains the strength out of your body and it drains the strength out of your soul as well. You can't pray. What's that? You can't... Not right now. You've not got it in you to pray when, when, when you're in that state, right? You need prayer, but you can't do it. You can't summon that. Not right now. So what do you do? James says you call the elders. You call the elders. Now, I think that we, we might tend to see in the church today, we might tend to see the elders of the church as like the, the board directors um, who manage the books and who care about things like insurance. Um, now, those things do matter. But what James is 
leading you to see right here is that in the first place, the elders of the church are shepherds. That's the calling. It's, it's unavoidable in the New Testament. It's very clear in the New Testament. Sometimes unclear to us, but it, to the New Testament writers, that is the role. So, the elders come, and they pray over the sick person. To, to, to pray over likely means to lay hands on and pray, fervently to, to pray. And they anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, if you pick up any commentary on this passage or like a study Bible on, on, on this passage, you'll read that oil in the scriptures is symbolic for anointing of the Holy Spirit, which means it means calling down God's special attention and his special care on this person at this time. And a side note on, on anointing with oil. I have not done this personally. I've been a pastor for some years. I haven't done this personally. But Kiernan has, okay? Um, has literally done this for someone in sickness. And for a number of you in this congregation, you've experienced this. And you know what that meant to you in that experience. And that prayer of faith of your church leader. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Will make the sick person well. Now, I could right now nuance this verse a thousand times so that it no longer means anything. I could nuance the verse and say, and, and, and talk about how. Um, the apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh and he prayed and it didn't go away. And, and we don't know all the details of God's secret will for this particular situation and this particular... Per we don't know and, 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 and nuance, nuance, nuance. But I think James wants you to feel the force of this. I think he wants you to be encouraged to do this with faith, to reach out in faith to your church leaders, because it's true. We don't know all the details of the Lord's secret will for this particular person in particular and for your situation. The Lord's will is very complex, but we know this, that it is the Lord's will writ large over his creation, healing, healing, making all things new, new heavens and new earth, that is where we are headed, and the, and the healing of your body, child of God. Yes, your body made new, and there are many cases, we see it in the New Testament, we see it in church history, there are many cases where God supernaturally brings that new creation healing into our day, in time and space, in our age. And it comes through prayer. It does. So in the worst of times, when you're too weak to hold on to the story, James does not say, you pray, and pray harder, right? No, he doesn't say that. He says, you call on others, and they pray for you. It's the church leaders. They come, and they pray for you. But also, 
your brothers and sisters. Do you notice that? Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healed. Now, what does that mean? Is that, a, is that like a spiritual healing? Is that, what kind of healing is this talking about? And the answer to that question is that the, the Greek word, it means physical healing. That's, what it, that, that's the meaning. That's how it's used in the New Testament and, and the, the other ancient literature of the day. That's the normal meaning, physical healing. It's very interesting. Sometimes you get sick, and the reason you're sick is because you're, you work with a coworker uh, who is sick and doesn't cover their sneeze, and uh, it's in the air, and you get sick, and that's why you're sick, okay? Um, but sometimes sickness and sin is connected. Yes, it is. Sometimes it is. When I, I was in second year of undergraduate at uh, Western University, and I got sick, and I stayed sick for like several months. And I did not know what was going on at the time, but up to that point, I had got in my head that the way to make friends was to perform uh, and put on a performance to a high standard and maintain that. And so for me, that, that looked like throwing myself into um, different kinds of clubs and student leadership positions and, and um, academics, of course, and in the triathlon club and um, getting onto the executive on the triathlon club and staying up late on resident staff and waking up early to jump in the pool at 6 a.m. like a maniac for months and months and months. And I got very sick in, as a result of all that. And if you asked me during that time, I would probably say something like, I'm burnt out, which is about as far as my understanding of the situation went. Um, I would not have said, I'm feeling afraid and anxious because I've attached my personal worth to my performance and now I'm sick and I'm not performing. I would not have said to you, I'm overwhelmed because I'm not accepting the limitations of my humanity and I have totally unrealistic expectations for myself and more responsibilities than I can manage. I would not have said any of that, but all that was true. I didn't know at the time what I, what I know now, that the way to make friends is not through performance. It's actually through being vulnerable. And that, that very thing, that's what the Lord is calling you to in these verses. Do you see that? He's calling you to be vulnerable in the church community. In the, in the church community, this is not where we put on our performance. 
together. That is not, no, that's perverse. We are called to be vulnerable with one another and transparent. And when times are the worst, how you hold on to the good story is prayer, but not, not your prayer, not when times are the worst, not your prayer. No, all you do is call for help. When you, you're sick and you're too weak to pray, you call the elders. And when you're weak from sin and anxious and overwhelmed and you feel it in your body, you're bodily burdened by sin. You call your sister, you call your brother, and search your heart and confess your sin. And you, you, you let them take you by the hand to the Lord Jesus and the throne of grace and forgiveness in his name and the beginning of healing in his name. A healing that may not be instantaneous, but will be a real beginning with a confession of sin and restoration and forgiveness. Grace West, let's hold on to the story in prayer, each one of us, and for each other in times of need. Now, why? Why pray? Looking, look with me at the second half of verse 16 now. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. For example, Elijah. Now, for James' audience, Elijah was like Captain America. Okay, he's an outstanding hero. He's, he's a great Israelite, a man of courage and power and miracles. But James here, he doesn't talk about any of that. Instead, James talks about Elijah's prayers and how Elijah is a human being just like any one of us, just like all of us, and he prayed. And look at the impact of his prayer. He prayed fervently. It would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. Now, how this is encouraging is not obvious. Okay, maybe we might admit that. Um, how is this encouraging? Praying for no rain and it, and, and it doesn't rain and then pray for rain and, it, and then it rains. It seems kind of random, um, perhaps. It seems random. It's actually not. Um, but we need to unpack like a lot of things here. So let's do that briefly to see the logic. The first thing to know is that Elijah is a prophet. A prophet in Israel the role is to speak for God, and especially it's to come from outside the power structure and speak truth to power and truth to the nation of Israel, especially confronting the leaders and the nation for breaking their covenant with God. That's the first thing. That's the role of a prophet. The second thing is that God's covenant with Israel promises blessings if they obey. The blessings are good harvest and military success 
and prosperity of all kinds. That's in the Torah, very clear. If you obey, all these blessings will come to you, God says to his people. And if they break the covenant, if they forsake the covenant, not like mistakes here and there, if they utterly forsake the covenant, if they abandon the Lord, then what will happen is very, also very clear in the covenant is punishments, including drought. Listen to what God says. If his people forsake him, this is the word of the Lord. I will break the pride of your power, God says to his nation. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase. Leviticus 26. That's the second thing we need to see. Consequences for covenant rebellion and apostasy. Third thing, what is the state of Israel in Elijah's day? Living during the reign of King Ahab in Israel. King Ahab, highlights of his reign include these things. Building a temple to the god Baal. And destroying places of worship for the Lord, the God of Israel. And killing the Lord's prophets and persecuting them. And now comes Elijah, the prophet. And droughts come and go in the world. Sometimes a drought is just a drought. But Elijah is a prophet of Israel, and he has come to confront the people of God for their covenant apostasy. And he's come to confront them with the law. And Elijah prays. What does he pray for? The specific drought that's on the books, in the, in the book of the law. We don't have Elijah's prayer written down in the scriptures. But I, I have to imagine it would sound something like this. Lord, your people don't listen to you. They spurn your statutes. They hate your rules. They break your covenant. And you have said, I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron in your earth, like bronze. Lord, do it. I, I believe Elijah prayed like that. He just takes the word of God and turns it into prayer. God, what you said would happen, let it happen. Let it happen. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. No rain. Three and a half years. No rain. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. 1 Kings 18. Shortly after God says that to Elijah, there's a, a famous contest on Mount Carmel, Elijah alone versus 430, excuse me, 450 prophets of Baal 
the God of Israel wins decisively and people turn to him, people repent and turn to him and the skies open and rain pours onto the land, a parched land. The Lord had said to Elijah, I will send rain on the land. I will do it. And Elijah prayed, Lord, do it. Send rain. Verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that does not mean that Elijah is powerful. Elijah is effective. No, that would miss the point. Elijah is a human being, just like you, just like me. The power is not in the one who prays. The power is in the one who hears and answers and fulfills his own promise when a human being simply asks for it. I read a quote recently from an author named Justin Early. Uh, It's from a chapter about household work, work in an ordinary home. Listen to this. Deep down in a child is the desire to be included in the work of the person who loves them. Deep down in a child is a desire to be included in the work of someone who loves them. And that's why kids love to like stir the pancake mix, right? Or like use the leaf blower with dad in the, in the yard, right? It's exciting. It's fun. They want to do that kind of stuff. Um, he, he goes on. We might grow up, but we never grow out of this longing to work beside the one who loves us. Because in the story of God, we are made to work. You were made, men and women, you were made to hear the story of God's work. You were made to lay hold of that story and to hold on to it through prayer, your prayer and others' prayer, for you, around you. But what's more is I think we need to see this because we can tend to think and fall into the thinking that prayer is like um, your physiotherapy exercises, right? The ones that you don't do. The ones that you're supposed to do, <laughs> but you don't do them. It's like, ah, oh, right, did I? Ten minutes a day, that's all. Oh. We, can, we can tend to see prayer like that. We need to see what James is showing us here, the magnitude of prayer. The story of God. He's made you to know it and lay hold of it. But more than that, and what we see here, that God is calling you in your prayer to advance the story of God as well, to move it forward, to, to join in the work of one who loves you and has called you to this, to work with him like a little child with her dad. And that work is when you pray for the things that God has already promised he will do. And his power in advancing the plan is, is unleashed simply when you ask for it as you do that in faith. That is what Elijah did. That is all Elijah did. He simply aligned his prayer with the almighty power and will of God. 
and the impact was national. You see that in the story, one man, national impact on the nation of Israel. Do you see the heart of God here and what he has for you, inviting you into prayer? Do you see the, the dignity and the significance of your prayer? He has called you. He loves you. He has forgiven your sins. All that is true. And because the, the gospel is, is so much greater than how we might limit it, he has called you in the gospel. He has invited you to pray, which means inviting you into his work, this, his, his cosmic work of like global redemption. Global redemption in Jesus' name. Move it forward, Lord. God has promised that people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation will come to Jesus and will find forgiveness of sins in his name. He's promised that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it is going to happen. And it's going to happen as the prayers of the people of God push it forward. As they look to him to do what he's promised and ask him to do as he's promised. You see, this, this is God's will for you, not only to save your soul, but to make you strong in faith and to involve you and to train your muscles of faith through your prayers. He inspires faith in his children. He creates faith in his children. He calls his children beside him to work in the work that he is doing. Grace West, let's join in this work. Let's join in. We're in a vision process right now. We've been talking about that since February. And uh, five years from now, what will it look like for us to have roots planted in the ground? What will it look for us to bear fruit? We've been thinking about that and talking about that for months. And we're convinced and convicted that what will it look like for us to plant roots in the ground is going to look like, is going to involve, it must, prayer. Prayer not only as individuals, but as a church to grow more and more a culture of prayer. So this is not the kind of prayer sermon that you're going to hear this topic and then just weeks and months and it's like, what was that? One-off prayer sermon that I kind of get, I don't know, I don't know how this is landing on you this morning. But, um, and, and you just move on. No, we're not going to do that. No, not. we're doing a vision process, and we want change. We want to be a church that prays. And you're going to hear in the weeks ahead, months ahead, you're going to hear plans, concrete plans. for What is this going to look like for us? So join in. Join in when those announcements come. And let's pray together. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us into your work. We thank you for 
loving us in, in not only the forgiveness of sins, not only new life in Jesus Christ, but for, for calling us into a life where we respond to you with faith and, 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 and prayer, and we pray for one another, we lay hold of your story, we support each other when their arms are too weak, and we look to you and ask you to do what you've promised as you do your powerful, mysterious work in the world. Uh, give us faith, Lord, and help us as a church to grow in our culture of prayer in ways that are tangible and practical, that we might be a people of prayer indeed, for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen.